good to be with you this morning. It seems like yesterday we were here, and <laughs> I think it was last November, October, November, a year ago. Just a blink of an eye, and but so many things happened in the meantime. Uh, very momentous things, also. Um, it seems like. Uh, When I think back, when we first started working in Italy, after we returned from the States, uh, I often spoke of the fact that uh, our vision had to be, in some way, uh, had to keep in mind these two different fields. One was the immediate needs of the community and the evangelism and and the other was the condition of the nation, uh, as well of the, the uh, condition of the church. And that's how we labor through the years, uh, in, our, in our limits, and uh, as well in our hopes and sweat. Um, and if I have to say or think of how things have gone over the last 25 years, uh, there is a most certainly a decline, uh, perhaps in every way. The parable is a descending one. We're not going upward, we're going downward. I think in every way, almost in every way. Uh, um, perhaps because of the efforts of many and us among those there has been a, a resurgence of a uh, more biblically sound movement you know in the area of doctrine and theology and the doctrines of grace a worthier vision of the gospel and of God uh, but that has not, through the years we were able to see, that has not, uh, it has remained to a certain level marginal in the flow of uh, an evangelical community that is, at the present time, um, all the more liberal and all the more charismatic. If we look at the two major constituencies of the evangelical movement in Italy. What we would identify as Reformed Christianity, you know, Biblical Reformed Christianity, is very small, it's very tiny. It was tinier 25 years ago, but it was hardly anybody. You know, Paul, you know as well how it was in Italy. It was like a desert. Uh, today, there may be a few more, but the current of the evangelical movement remains the same, downward. Uh, and there are these two, these two sides. So out of, I'm sure I've already given you the numbers, but uh, basically they are the same. Out of a 40, I mean 450,000 professing evangelicals in Italy, which would amount to uh, 0.6% of the population. Half of that is liberal, 
in theology, like Waldensians and Lutherans and Methodists, and most of the Southern Baptists in Italy would be liberal, uh, strongly liberal. Um, proof of that, <laughs> among the many, of course, is that when we published uh, From Darwin to Hitler, I don't know if you have ever seen this Italian translation of it, but uh, From Darwin to Hitler uh, is a book that shows the moral consequences of evolutionism, um, of evolutionary theory on a moral level in Germany especially, but also more broadly. Because the, the error did not o- was not only scientific in nature, it also had tremendous consequences morally. How was meant to be understood from a moral standpoint if he's but an animal? Everything is swept away. Everything is destroyed. There's, you know, morality has no more sense or meaning, really. And so we asked, when we published this book and we wanted to publicize it as much as possible, we were looking for different places in Rome where we could have a presentation of the book. So we asked the Waldensian Church, the major Waldensian Church, to uh, open up their hall. They had some big places, you know, downtown Rome. They would not let us do that. We also asked to a uh, Methodist church right across the Vatican, uh, Lungo Tevere, and give us the same answer. They would not do it. It's too political. (laughs) It's not political. It's moral. It's moral, you know. And so, and then when you consider the kind of things they preach or the books they publish, you know, uh, and there's really much to mourn about. But anyway, as I was saying in the beginning, um, then the other side, about 200,000 of these evangelicals in Italy are charismatic. And charismatism is becoming wilder and wilder. Um, Just focused, very much focused on gimmicks and, um, you know, good time hours and the jumping and rolling and uh, playing rock music and all sorts of stuff but but there's no really understanding of what we would call the gospel you know and uh, and so I will go back to this theme you know later on in this small talk but um I said all this also to say that it seems to me like the Old Testament books are becoming more and more precious to us. I mean, we have spent half of this year studying Lamentations of Jeremiah, and it was so applicable to what is going on today, considering God's judgments on our culture, on our society, on our humanity, and... uh, chapter after chapter I mean theologically it's a, it's a difficult book there's so many things to consider that are quite deep and uh, earth shaking and uh, but it was good it was good especially chapter 3 God seemed like nailing us on that chapter and say stay here stay here and uh, 
we spent several months just on that third chapter where Jeremiah tells of his own crisis when he began to question God, even accuse God, you know, what are you doing to me? Why are you making me go through this? And and he said, I, I lost all hope in you. You're not worthy to be trusted. That third chapter, the first part of that chapter is is amazing in what it implies in the crisis of Jeremiah and uh, out of which he finally came through a great struggle and then he penned of course those words uh, great is thy faithfulness but for which we would all have been destroyed so he he came back to some sense you know later on uh, but the Old Testament prophets are becoming more and more precious. And I think as the Western Church is becoming, the true Western Church is becoming more and more of a suffering church, a persecuted church, uh, those books will become all the more precious and we will be able to understand them better. Why those tears? You know, Why those cries? Why those moments of almost despair? in the light of all the uh, blink situation that was confronting them at the time. Uh, and so, uh, you know, it, sometimes I, I am aware Christians may struggle through Old Testament books. <laughs> There's so much judgment on these books, uh, in, in these books. Uh, but really, there's a simple answer to that. To, to that is, the judgment was necessary because of human rebellion. Before speaking of judgment, we should say there was a lot of corruption and rebellion in the Old Testament. What's the story of Israel about? Since you came out of the land of Egypt, I sent you my prophets day and night, but you would not hear them. You would not hear them. So obviously, when you have an, uh, an unrepentant generation, unrepentant generations that span thousands of years, you're bound to see a lot of judgment, which was prophesied according to the covenant. If you will persist in your rebellion, I will persist in my judgment. I will increase my judgment gradually until I will disperse you over the whole globe. <laughs> That's what he did finally in the days of Jeremiah. And so, unless we keep in mind the what happened through the Old Testament on our part and our responsibility, then we will misjudge the book or even the nature of God in the Old Testament. A God of judgment, a God of fear, a God of... No, no. He, he is bound to judge us if we become so corrupted that that judgment is necessary. That cannot be but that way. Um, so anyway, of course, we started the year with uh, uh, enthusiasm, and uh, and we still have that enthusiasm in spite of, of everything. Um, and so uh, we were able to, to publish. Um, finally, after... Five years of <laughs> writing uh, our book on the on the the Gnostic origin of the cult of Mary, 
and uh, so this was about the beginning, the end of the year, the beginning of the new year. Um, so that was uh, that was an encouragement, uh, but. Uh, I'll come to this later but I think the greatest encouragement was to see what happened in the life of Stefano and Satoko I wrote to you about these and uh, still when I left Italy last year he was um, struggling you know with what I mentioned in my letters and I would not repeat it publicly uh, but he was uh, struggling with something he couldn't overcome as a lost person, uh, an unbeliever. And Satoko was holding on to the Lord, learning what it means to love someone who's very difficult to love, just like God, God does with us, you know. And um, so I, you know, I, I, uh, I didn't really spend much time pointing my finger at Stefano, I, but I did bring up the issue, you know, that was destroying his family. But I also told him, I'm near you, you know, and uh, you need to stop this, uh, or you will destroy your family, and you're already doing that. And so I began to meet with him early in the morning, you know, uh, he go to work around 5.50, and so I said, I'll meet with you, I'll take you to the train station and we can pray together and and then I'll come and pick you up. You need to promise me that you will not do that today. And so uh, he did and then so we continued that for several days until, until finally he told me that he had just been uh, lying to me. He had been doing what he wasn't supposed to do uh, in secret. And uh, so that brought about a crisis in the marriage in Satoko. Uh, spoke to him quite frankly about the only option that she, she saw left. And uh, I talked to him about that too. And in time, it seemed really the Lord intervened in his life. So... He, as far as I know, surrendered to the Lord. He's professing to believe in the Lord. It's been almost a year now since he's, he's been clean. And uh, as far as his older problem, it comes to every meeting uh, during Sunday services or during the week, as much as we can have them. Uh, we during the you know the pandemic, we met four times a week through internet. So uh, on Sunday and then Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, and he he was present every time. Also through our um, Skype you know program, we, we we sang as well. So uh, we always started with a song, you know, and. Uh, and he recorded all the songs that we sang in the different sessions, and he put a little, he brought them all together, and you listened to them during the day, or, or as he was on the train going to work, you know. And, and talking to Satoko, she, she really said, it's, uh, there's a real change in him. 
in his countenance, in his spirit, as a father, as a husband. And uh, so uh, now Stefano pray much for him. You know, he he does have a, a fire in his heart. I mean, he's an evangelist. He he like he loves to speak out. And uh, so recently. Uh, um, he actually works in the parliament. Uh, he, he manages the kitchen and, and all that section there. And so as he was um, talking to uh, one of his colleagues, uh, this guy is a Catholic, so Stefano began to witness to him. And, and then he came to me and said, I have this, uh, this man has opened up to meet prior to work you know in, in in an earlier hour and so what what do you think I should do <laughs> and so I told you don't start um, attacking the Catholic Church you know because you're going to pull out a verse he's going to pull out a verse because this guy goes to church every Sunday and Wednesday so he's very devout Catholic I said there's going to be a war of verses that's not going to profit just tell him that if you could read and study together the book of Romans, uh, you'll avoid that type of approach, you know, um, which is more polemical, and you just teach him and yourself to just focus on the meaning of the gospel and what it is. That's, I w- that's what I would recommend. Now, so I gave him some, some things that I had written through the years about the book of Romans, as well as Martin Long Jones sermons on Romans. And I gave him two days prior to the meeting. And he read almost the whole first ch- book of the commentaries, you know, Romans, prior to meeting, you know. And he's been devouring literature. So, God keeping him and feeding him, I have great hopes of how the Lord can use him. Uh, it's very different from Armando. Armando is very, uh, is very contained, you know, very uh, subdued and very humble. And you know, Stefan is more fiery. But he's also very pleasant, you know, and uh, very outspoken. So two different characters altogether. Also, I saw a growth in Sartoko's wife. You know, she professes to know the Lord now for several years and. Uh, but as Japanese, she was not taught to be very outspoken, very withdrawn, uh, very kind, you know, very firm in her beliefs, uh, very intelligent from a scriptural point of view, surprisingly so. Um, she's even pro-Trump, you know. Uh, so her analysis of the political world can be very accurate uh, as far as it can be accurate. Um, but she's becoming more and more outspoken uh, in prayer and sharing. Sarah and Satoko meet regularly, you know, during the week to to be together, to develop a friendship, to to pray, to talk about things of God as well as things of life. Um, and uh, and so, lo and behold, what we have seen this year, which to me is the most important thing. He said a family that was unconverted and lost is now, as far as I know, 
blessed of God with both parents converted. And, uh, and the two girls, Maya and uh, Aurelia, nine and seven years old, they both attend Sarah's Sunday school. And uh, in fact, I think Sarah just sent me the audio of this, this morning's Sunday school, which I may even try to play for you just a bit. Um, And they go on and on explaining the meaning of the Sunday school lesson. <laughs> so they already had the service and everything. So Sarah keeps me up about the contents, you know, and how things go and what they summarize. And uh, two bright uh, young girls that are just soaking in all these truths they could not hear anywhere else in the area. And uh, Sarah's doing a real work with them, you know, and very, very precious. Uh, so, and also pray for them as a couple because of the position they have taken in school. Uh, Stefan has been very outspoken about certain things, and um, and also there is a possibility that I could teach a religious class in the public school, having the two girls to ask for their pastor to teach it. So, if that should come true then there will be an amazing opportunity, you know, to do that. That's one thing I always long for. Uh, I love the back and forth dialogue with young people, you know, and um, so much to pray for concerning them and concerning the ministry as well. Now, uh, you know, I think you know what happened is back in... uh, in February, we began to hear about the virus. And, <clears throat> and so, when March came, uh, we were, uh, you know, Cherie was, uh, uh, a friend of hers bought her a ticket to Brazil for her birthday. And uh, it never happened before. So, she flew the 4th of March. <laughs> and so, she was going to stay gone for about 10 days. And then, when she was there, lockdown starting in Italy, and she was not able to return. She only had two days to get to America and uh, and then wait to see what was going to happen. And so that was something unexpected that overtook us. And uh, um, But Italy entered lockdown very, very early. Uh, very uh, strangely, you know, on the 1st of uh, on the 30th, I think, think of January, together with America, uh, Italy uh, interrupted the flights from to China, from and to China. Um, but on the 9th of February, China announced that the flights to and from China had reopened uh, uh, in collision, <laughs> not in collusion, but in collision. <laughs> 
with our own government. So our, our government had to reaffirm that there were no more flights from and to China. Strange things have happened this year. and uh, But of course, we were taken by surprise by the developments. Uh, we, we could no longer meet as a church. And we actually could hardly get out of our homes. I, uh, I avoided even seeing my mother. You know, they were talking about how risky it was. And, and I think there's a measure in which it is risky and we need to be careful. Uh, we need to avoid extremism on both, in both ways. We need to be wise. The Bible does speak of quarantine anyway. <laughs> um, but we, of course, uh, all our church activities were suspended and, and stifled as far as public ministry, uh, whether as a church or evangelistically. And there was in part of March, there was in April, there was in May, there was in June, there was in July. So, uh, you know, personally for me, I was happy for Shavi to be away. I could, you know, get along. Uh, but uh, Eric, also when things began started being rough over here too, and also Eric lost her job and, and didn't get much of the house out of the house anyway. I was happy that Sheree was able to be with her, and uh, so Sheree was very very upset because she felt horribly about leaving us there uh, in those conditions. But I I. I did comfort her to say, it is in God's will. It never happened before in our life that you made such a trip. If it had happened, there must be a purpose. you know. And, and so it was good to see how she was able to be close to Erica and Luca and her parents. So I will not hide there's been a struggle to be alone for seven months. And, um, and I could hardly get out of Italy uh, now <laughs> and so um, but as we thought how can we invest our time uh, there is so much to do anyway so uh, well first of all we multiplied our meetings during the week uh, and so as I was telling you we had three meetings a week on Tuesday Wednesday and Saturday going through Lamentations. Uh, and no, actually, Lamentation was on Sunday, and during the week we studied uh, the warfare of the local church. Um, and we, we, we uh, did that for, for several months. And, uh, and so that was, that was good. There was a lot of work as far as teaching and uh, spending time in prayer and singing as a church, even though we couldn't gather you know, publicly in the same place. Um, something else I think that was good was that we were able to, to put a lot of effort in our translation. And, uh, <laughs> and so uh, during the year... Um, uh, we published this evangelistic booklet. Uh, this is a smaller evangelistic um, you know, piece of literature, Finding God in a World Fleeing from the Truth. 
And this is a summer, uh, it's a, uh, an, a small anthology or selection of thoughts from uh, Pascal, the French thinker. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read his thoughts. It's a book written about the middle of the 1600s. Tremendous, tremendous. And so we selected, we selected about 40 of these thoughts and we put them in evangelistic order. And, uh, and this makes up for a, a tremendously powerful booklet to give, you know, and um, evangelistically. Then we, we published Suffering by Paul Debbie Tripp. And, uh, and I would advise any one of you to read it in English. Find a copy of Paul David Tripp's Suffering. Um, it is probably the best book on the subject. It's written um, from a, an author that, can, that is very biblical, but at the same time also very honest, very humble, very human. Human. <laughs> And, uh, but this book deals of a lot with what happens in suffering within us. Both the negative aspects and the positive aspects. And I think it's a very unique book you know, concerning that. Um, we also published a book by Richard Baxter, the old Puritan, concerning pride. Uh, it is the same size of this book. Um, and it's doing well it's, it has a good distribution um, and also I was able to pursue my biography of Varvelli I told you about this other project it's a five year long project anymore but Varvelli um, was an Italian man that was born in 1876 and um he was converted in a brethren environment when the brethren had some uh, very, were very solid, you know, uh, theologically, more solid than today, I'm afraid. And he was converted when he was 13 years old in a little town in northern Italy. Uh, a lot of persecution was taking place back then, but he soon was so drawn to the preaching of the gospel. Um, and he had some good teachers. I mean, some uh, evangelists back then, they really worked going village to village, carrying books, distributing Bibles, you know, being uh, attacked and persecuted and having rocks thrown against them and, and all of that. That was very, very common in those days. But he felt so drawn that he, even though he was a, uh, a very... Uh, productive um, farmer. He produced wine. Uh, he, he gave all that up to pursue the ministry of the gospel. And he, he felt drawn to go to Africa, uh, to Tunis, um, and minister there for eight years. And then while he was in Italy, of course, he had to face this upsurgence of revolutionary socialism and uh, and uh, then of course when he was in Africa uh, the first world war exploded and uh, 
So he came back to his country. He felt that he couldn't stay away while his country was facing the war. And so he worked as a doctor in a hospital, as like a, a nurse, you know, in the, for a couple of years, 1916, 1918, or 19. Um, and then uh, he became an evangelist uh, with the in Church. He ministered for six years in uh, Puglia, down in South Italy, and then he ministered in uh, Lombardia. Uh, then he ministered in Piedmont. <laughs> then he went back to Africa, and for another sixteen years in uh, Morocco. Um, and uh, Casablanca, that's where he stayed. And uh, he was actually caught by surprise by the war, and he was not able to return to Italy for six years. Um, but uh, as we researched this about this man, we found hundreds of handwritten letters, um, talking about six or seven hundred pages of written letters uh, that told all of his story. You know, and this was a man of grace and a man of work. Uh, he always kept the gospel at the very center as he faced uh, socialism and then fascism and liberalism within the Waldensian church and spiritism within the Waldensian church and then Pentecostalism. Um, and of course he was persecuted by the fascist regime and all of that is written on those letters. And so as... I worked with that biography. Uh, I thought the best thing to do would be to expand it in the sense of focusing on him, but also keeping track of the world that was going on at the time. You talk about the First World War, those 1920s and 30s, and fascism and Nazism, and then the Second World War. So this was the most dramatic period of history that that we have known over the last hundred years. And so I kind of enlarged the biography to make it more like life and times of Pietro Barvelli. This is basically what the the title is going to be. And uh, it's something like a history also of the evangelical movement in Italy in the 1900s, which I'm afraid there's not really much written about it at all. (laughs) And so... um, I'm finished it now. <laughs> it's about 500 pages. Um, but I pray that it will, as it uh, you know, addresses a lot of different issues within the evangelical movement, issues that are still with us today, pray that uh, the Lord will use it to speak to many pastors' hearts and many Christians. Um, I think this can be a book that can find ample distribution among the brethren, among the Waldensians, uh, and evangelicals in general. And so, um, and may she pray for us and pray for me as well. I have other projects in mind that I, I'm working on, been working on for many years now, but. Uh, I am uh, 
a couple of areas I want to write about is uh, the origin of the Pentecostal movement. Uh, I'm afraid there is a lot that is almost unknown when you go to the primary sources. And I think a, a book written on the subject, beginning perhaps with John Wesley, uh, facing the theological departures or deviations of the, you know, the Pentecostal history at the time, just to give you an idea, when, of course, you, John Wesley is very important to understand the origin of the, of the Pentecostal movement, especially because the John Wesley doctrine of perfection, you know, perfectionism, as a second work that takes place after conversion through an experience of total consecration or the eradication of sin, you know. And that started the whole idea of a, a, a second work of grace or a second blessing. Like then in, in time it became the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but in the beginning it was not so. But when John Wesley came out with this false doctrine, um, many opposed him. John, uh, George Whitfield opposed him, you know, on this very issue. And I, I think if the history of Pentecostalism can be written like a theological history, as men um, criticized the movement, the more it departed, as it departed more and more from the truth, I think it can be very enlightening. There were Baptists and Presbyterians and men of all evangelical faiths that criticized these things as they came out. But as then they became a, you know, part of evangelical culture in time, um, then they became accepted and they have become you know, accepted, but they were not so once. And, uh, and also, another project I have in mind is the history of uh, Waldensian theology. I already spoke to you about this. Uh, you know, Waldensians started as a medieval sect, or so they were considered by the Catholic Church. And uh, so... Um, uh, in time, we talk about the 12th century <laughs> after Christ, so it's uh, 800 years ago prior to uh, you know, Martin Luther and the Reformation. But then they grew in their understanding of Scripture because they, they saw it after Scripture and they finally embraced the Reformation when the Reformation took place. Uh, <clears throat> especially in a synod they had at Chamforan in 1532. But then the Waldensian, of course, embraced the, Reform the, the Reformation, became strongly evangelistic, sound in their doctrine, uh, wrote many confessions of faith. <laughs> uh, but then, uh, with the Enlightenment, they began to depart. And, uh, and they have been departing ever since, uh, with the acceptance of a brief interlude of, uh, of a evangelical revival in the 1800s. But then they embraced liberalism fully, and, 
and so they have been gone ever since I'm afraid and uh, then they embrace you know the Barthian movement the new orthodoxy uh, and uh, and of course that was not able to to really heal their their problems and and bring them back to the real gospel so I think if I think of these two areas, liberalism and charismatism. And I think there's a lot of need in Italy. There's much need to have clarity on both of these so that evangelicals, generally speaking, perhaps can be helped to see uh, some of the real problems that have to do with the condition of evangelicalism today in Italy. Uh, I'm struggling with one thing concerning these projects because uh, I thought of doing one project and bring both of these together. Uh, the project will be entitled something like The Demise of the Evangelical Movement and showing what it was in the Reformation and then how these two departure, one emphasizing the primacy of reason the other emphasizing the primacy of emotions uh, destroy the movement as a whole with the acceptance of course of a, a, you know, a remnant that has been holding on to a sounder faith through the centuries uh, I'm tempted to do that because in that way my line of reasoning will be clear and these, both of these critiques will not be perceived as an attack per se, but as a constructive criticism that wants to help evangelicals to see. Um, so, <clears throat> my time is up, and uh, there will be much to say, of course, not, not much can be wrapped up in a few minutes, but um, we're coming up rec- in the next few weeks with new books, um, uh, Mando's been translating from Latin the commentary of Vermilion on 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. It's going to be like a 200 pages book. Vermilion is one of our greatest reformer and theologian. And this is going to be a, a precious volume. The first time that a commentary from an Italian reformer will be translated from Latin into the Italian language. I think there will be uh, a great interest in English as well. I have no doubt about that. Uh, so, pray about that. We had just, we will be sending to the press the life of William Carey, the Baptist missionary to India, in the next few days. We had just gone finished going through that. It's taken a lot of work, but it's a good, good book. We also will be working on Francis Schaeffer's The God Who Is There. I think there will be a tremendous book as well for the, uh, in looking at the way things are. And um, so we have a lot of projects. Armando's works steadily. We probably talk to one another ten times every day for one reason or the other. Uh, I think finally the Lord has given me a good shoulder. Uh, he's now, you know, bringing the, uh, you know, the studies for the services or the sermons for the services that we're having it's also leading through a meditation through the book on suffering on Thursday 
with the, the folks there. Uh, and so he's very, very busy. Uh, so if you have any questions, of course, you can ask you know, later on. I'll be more than happy to, to expand. <laughs> Thank you for your prayers, for your love, for your support, for, as William Carey would say, for holding on, for holding up the rope <laughs> as we descend, uh, keeping in mind that you are also struggling here and holding on to the gospel. Amen.